To the Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. This hour we talk to Jonathan Dodd. He's up next with Human Statistics. And then we chat with the Cirque, the circus duo before 11 o'clock tonight. My producer, Sarah, has been very busy during the news and she's handed me something I didn't know. For those fans of Max Cryer, Max is releasing another book next month. I must ask him about this next week. I can't believe he's been keeping this quiet. Uh, Max Cryer, Curious English Words and Phrases, the truth behind the expressions we use. So if you're a fan of Max's segment uh, that we heard last hour and you'd like the book, then you can buy Curious English Words and Phrases. Uh, it says here, and I read, not as well as Max could, but I read, uh, Max Cryer compares the English language to a vast and ancient city, magnificent and full of interest, but at the same time shambolic a language which has been subject to suburban sprawl that has constantly added new edifices, upgraded heritage precincts in some quarters, demolished them in others, and has complex road systems freely negotiable only by those who have long lived in that area. Jeez, he's a wordsmith now, Max Cry. What a beautiful piece of prose that was. I, I need to ask him about this next week. He's keeping it very quiet. It's due out in October, so it's, it's a wee way away. But a little bit of tease there for Max's new book, In Curious English Words and Phrases. And uh, Max is going on to ex uh, explain some of these terms. Gets my goat, letting one's hair down, a nickname, eavesdropping, D-Day, sugar daddies, geezers, lounge lizards. Those are some of the words that are in the book. So... If you like listening to Max Cryer, why not grab his book? And that's out in October. And I will ask him about that next week. He is, uh, he's very sneaky. He's very sneaky. But thank you, uh, Sarah, for bringing that to my attention. And we will definitely ask Max about that one next Saturday evening on Words, again, between 9 and 10 o'clock. Right, quick break. And on the back, Jonathan Dodd with Human Statistics. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill on Radio Live. Time for human statistics now on the Weekend Variety Wireless. Introducing Jonathan Dodd from Ipsos, New Zealand. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, thanks. Good, good thanks, Ryan. Good to have you with us. A total of 611 New Zealanders aged 18 and over have answered questions about immigration. What have we learned? Yeah, well, it's interesting. This is um, a global survey that Ipsos has con conducted over the years. This year, just gone by, um, New Zealand actually decided to stick with it because we've been doing it for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and so this year, we've actually got some interesting stuff compared to how we were tracking um, a couple of years ago. We've done it a few times and see how New Zealand fares. And while I don't have new global stuff, what was really interesting to find in recent years was that New Zealanders are amongst the most pro-immigration in the world. Um, 
And it goes to every reason when you look at the countries which are the most anti, you know, particularly looking at what's happened in recent years, it's mm. countries like, you know, Turkey and Italy and those countries which have really had big problems with new people coming into the country. And obviously there's a difference between legal immigration and refugees. Mm. Um, but either way, you know, influxes of, of different people into different countries has, has been an interesting topic. But, um, so it's interesting to see in New Zealand, particularly when you're looking at results over the years, and and also when you consider how the um, Labour Party, um, one of their key policies during the election was about reducing immigration because it was perceived to be, you know, the uh, the cause of some ills, such as Auckland house prices and things like that. Yes. So it was interesting that um, what it found is generally the proportion of Kiwis who think that there are too many immigrants in New Zealand is relatively stable. I mean, it's at 40% agreeing that there are too many. Mm. And last year, 44, the year before that, 43. So it's sort of going down, relatively consistent. Um, and even when they ask people, you know, do you think immigration is causing the country to change in ways that we don't like? And the proportion agreeing with that has actually gone down from 37 to 34%. So we're sort of coming through here, and you might think, well, 34%, that's still a minority. But... Um, there's still some reasonable amounts who are disagreeing as well with that kind of a thing. Um, you know, similar numbers saying it is causing countries to change, are saying it's changing in ways they don't like. But overall, the current numbers generally approved more than disapproved. I like this and, survey um, because it's the facts. You, you're right bringing the political football in because with the rise of protectionism around the world and, and particularly what's been happening in the states um you know with the anti-immigration uh, of donald trump um build that wall those sort of things uh there's a lot more protectionism and well, in, 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 in and around the world so it's nice to to just leave the rhetoric and their political opinions to one side and actually look at the facts uh, and and one of the the facts i i like in this research is immigration uh, immigrants make New Zealand a more interesting place to live. Was was the statement, and the yep. people the, and fifty five percent of people agreed with that statement in twenty eighteen, and very consistent. It was fifty four percent two years ago. So over half the people uh, think, hey, look, uh, immigrants do bring something to our society that does make it more interesting. And, yep. and I guess that's in terms of ethnic diversity, food, cultural understanding. There is a positive feeling uh, in the majority of New Zealanders that they do have a good impact. Yep, and for anybody who goes, huh, 55, so 45 dislike it. Well, no, it's not right because there were a lot in the middle and it was only 17% who said they um, disagreed that it made it a more interesting place to live. But what was really interesting was when we looked at this last year and we thought, well, a key thing to do is to find out if people are actually immigrants themselves and how long they've been in the country for because mm. you think, well, naturally immigrants are going to be more pro-immigration. What was interesting was that immigrants who have been here for 10 years or more were amongst the least positive. Really? And I, well, you see, they came into a different New Zealand 10 years ago. We're a different country than we are now. And so you can say that immigration was a great thing 10 years ago, and everybody likes to think that when they come into the country, they're doing everybody a, a favour. Um, and there'll be people who go, well, immigration was great, you know, after the war. We never got all the war babies and all those sorts of things. Um, but it doesn't mean that it, just because you were pro-immigration when you came in as an immigrant doesn't mean you're going to stay that way because, of course, the mix and the numbers change over time. And you get people going, well, 
uh, a good increase is, is good, but then you can get to too many, for example. So um, it's not just a, a, a done thing that immigrants are pro, and if you're, if you're not supportive of current immigration, you're anti-immigrant. It's just about how many and when. Mm. Mm, and that seems that that seems to be the question the coalition government can't answer. Uh, no. That they're at odds about what we're doing in terms well, of immigration. Yeah, and it's interesting that when we say, "Oh, we don't like um, particularly you know American billionaires buying their way in," we do say quite clearly um, that priority should be given to immigrants with higher education and qualifications who can fill shortages in certain professions. Now, that can just mean teachers and nurses and policemen, and we get a lot of those from overseas. I'm not really talking about millionaires. But it does show that, hey, if you've got something to offer and can make the situation here better by fulfilling a certain role or investing in a certain way, we're happy with that. And that's actually gone up a lot from 58% last year to 65 which shows that people are sort of working out, hang on, immigration can be a good thing when, you know, when we've got shortages in various professions. Maybe that's a way of filling the gap. Let me read that. The question asked to the respondents were, was this. Priority should be given to immigrants with higher education and qualifications who can fill shortages in certain professions. 65% of people agreed with that statement. 17% neither agreed nor disagreed. And only 18% of people actually disagreed with that particular statement. So, uh, Well, that's actually 14%, yeah. Um, yeah, and frankly, that's what the Immigration New Zealand do. They have the whole point system, which is designed to do that, of course. Um, so they're actually disagreeing with government policy, which is to focus on um, on people who can invest or fill in certain gaps. So so that's fair enough. I mean, that seems to agree it, but it does feel so there are some people who are going, it doesn't matter, we don't we don't want anybody coming in, which is an interesting one. Because mm. when we also asked like any of the um the numbers right in front of me about the degree to which New Zealanders believe immigrants can fit in well, again the majority go, Yes they can. Mm. So it's not like they're going to cause enclaves or anything like that. And p- particularly, so, particularly the the fact that uh, immigration is good for the New Zealand economy too. Fifty one percent agreeing there. Twenty six uh, neither disagree or don't know. And eighteen percent of people in yeah. twenty eighteen say that it's not. So. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the protectionism and the anti-immigration uh, feeling and sentiments may be well publicised, particularly in other parts of the world, but the statistics we're looking at here well, would suggest otherwise. Well, the thing is, is that, and while I deliberately sort of talked about the stuff in this order, and that sort of seems good news that New Zealanders are very pro, the pro-immigrants is in the people, but nothing wrong with the people. Got nothing wrong with the principle of leading in people if they've got skills and they can add and they make the place more interesting, all that stuff. The problem is with the Kiwis. Mm. When I say the Kiwis, I'm being a little blunt. The problem is in the, um, and there is a problem because we found that um, people feeling that the impact on New Zealand was a positive one has declined from 47 to 41%. Mm. So you see, here we get into the number. It might be going, immigrants are interesting, they could see the economy, they can fill certain roles, all this warm, fuzzy stuff, but then they go, you're 6% fewer going their impact is good and that's because of the pressure that go on to public services like transport health and education mm, mm. and it's not an immigrant's fault if they come into a country that hasn't planned for the influx of people it's not their fault mm. it's the fault of the um whether it's government or central or local government um not adapting and putting into place the appropriate mechanisms 
Mm. So we're still at a pretty much a solid um, number of um, about 53% this time around saying, yeah, I agree, immigration's put too much pressure on these on these services. And we see that with you know, hospitals and traffic in particular and, and education and all these gross areas that haven't been factored in for by the, um, by the last government that, that opened up the, um, the immigration gates, I think. Mm, that's so that's the issue. It's like, we're, we're, we're fine for you, um, you know, Mr. Um, immigrant, but the trouble is <laughs> we've got just as many hostels as we did before and it's getting harder to handle it. Yes, uh, the, the investment yeah. in infrastructure hasn't yeah. been put in to cater for these people. We're yeah. happy to have them, but we're not happy about the impact yeah. that's, that, that it's having. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, and the Yes, carry on, sorry. The, Im- the immigrants are fine. It's the politicians we've got a problem with. Mm. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> the last one here, immigrants have made it more difficult for New Zealanders to get a job. Only 37% of people in 2018 agree with that statement. And the disagree is, let me add that up in my head, around 31% with 28% very neutral on that statement. They neither agree Mm. or disagree. So it's almost blocked into thirds there. Uh, Some people don't care for that statement. Another third agree with it. Another third disagree. So I guess where they they sit on the jobs, Kiwis are sitting on the fence in regards to that question. Well, yeah, and more so because... The proportion agreeing that it's made it more difficult has gone down. So it's gone down from 45 to 44 last year, now 37%. Mm. Um, so you'd think that's good. But really it's because those in the middle are sitting there going, well, I don't know. So the proportion saying I neither agree nor disagree, from 20% in 2016 up to 23, up to 28. Because the truth is we do have low unemployment at the moment. Mm. So you've probably got people going... Well, I don't know, because we've got all these teacher vacancies and police vacancies and everything, and it must be easy for people to get those jobs because they're all there. So, you know, so that's, it's a bit tough to say it's made it more difficult. Mm, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, frank, frankly, you've got to prove that you've got a job with the ability to create jobs for you, don't so, um, so, so, fortunately, there aren't Kiwis, well, there's around about third saying they made it more harder, but... I guess it depends on the line of work you're in and what you're exposed to as well. Yes, I hear it from both sides. Gee, it's hard to find good staff and good people out there. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. And, and then on the other hand, people saying, oh, it's really hard to find a job in my certain area or where I live. So, yeah, yeah you know, it, it's hard to know. Let's move on to item number two in terms of marketing psychology. What's priming? Yeah, well, priming is probably something people are becoming more aware of these days but it can often be a lot more subtle than you think. So priming refers to how you react differently to something depending on what's presented to you first or maybe alongside it. Okay, so for example, if I'd started up the interview going, you know what, Ryan, I'm only doing this for work, I really hate your guts, then even though you'd probably be professional and keep the conversation going, you're going to be a bit affected because you've been helped with something a bit negative. Okay. Or if Graham had said, oh, your life's all into jobs, and he's fantastic, have a great time, you'll go into it thinking good things. So you've been primed to expect something, and you will react accordingly. Right. Um, and some of those people look at this and they go, you know, if you have low expectations, you won't be disappointed. Mm. But the most classically we see this in marketing, you know, when you see these things like, why pay $500? Just pay $99 today. That's not even giving people $500 as a recommended retail. It's just throwing a number out there. <laughs> and people will be familiar about this in negotiations. You know, the higher you start in the negotiation, 
or you say what are ballpark prices, you start having conversations around that price point. Mm. So, you know, if you just start talking about a figure of, say, $100, then you might start ending up working around 120 or 80 in that ballpark area. Mm. You're not going to suddenly say it's 20. And, in fact, when I've been in China a few years ago and, you know, you, you learn to haggle with people, you learn to sell in at an incredibly low rate because they, they obviously open height. It's really good haggling mm. when you're in the market. It's not just in China, but it's classic negotiation skills where the first price um, sets the scene. So they start very high to give the impression of giving a great discount, and you've got to start very low so that they know that they've got to come down a long way. Mm. Whereas if the old Kiwi goes in and just offers an alternative that's, say, 20% cheaper, then they'll take it. So, you know, this is all about priming. You see this, um, and, and commercials are great with it. Why pay thousands of dollars, uh, you know, for all that when this can do it for just 99 You're right. Yeah. That's so true. There's no proof yeah. that it's thousands of dollars. They've just picked yeah. that number out of thin air. Yeah. Well, they'll do all the hype, give you the price, so that you're really going, okay, it's worth it. And then I say, and you get up one free. <laughs> so rather than just right at the beginning, or just giving you the price at half, you know, so you're, you're thinking that you get something extra. Um, and even though there might be other things, like when people say, hey, um, you know, isn't it time to get, get fit and get into shape? People might say, summer's coming. It's time <laughs> to get fit and into shape. Because immediately now thinking, oh, I'm going to have to stroll around with my shirt off. You, you're now <laughs> thinking about it differently. So... Celebrity endorsements, the classic one, we talked about that. Again, you're presented with something with a positive associated with it. Sometimes people will, you, you know, use very evocative imagery or music. You know, if I play classical music, somebody will think it's very classy. If I play hard rock, they'll think it's for younger people or something like that. All these cues are there to put you into a certain frame of mind and to start thinking about things in certain ways. And uh, for pricing and negotiation, that's very blunt because there's set numbers and you can see them going up or down. Mm. But it isn't otherwise as well. And you've just got to be alert to how you're being um, how you're being manipulated sometimes. Yeah, you're exactly right. And if you know what if you can identify, for example, words that marketers are using that invoke certain feelings and you can actually sit back from that, then you're less likely to be uh, motivated by those those certain feelings and feel like you need to buy it. And you know, if you can be more accepting of, of a message um, without being roped into that message, then I guess you're going to make better purchase decisions in, in the long run. I, I'm, I, I'm a real feel-good person for music. You know, when, the, when I'm at the supermarket and, and I, walk, oh, yeah. I, I walk 500 miles comes on, then it just, put, you know, it just lifts you up. Kmart's another cracker. They've got a great playlist. Well, well, what's interesting, well, I'll never, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll never forget going through a food town once and hearing the Velvet Underground. Now, <laughs> some of us, some of us might know the Velvet Underground, a very dark, gothic 60s band, and the particular song was about sadomasochism. Yes. And it was playing subtly away on the food town um, music, in-store music, and it was a surreal moment in my life I'll never forget. I looked around thinking there's a practical joke being played here. Mm. But maybe they were just trying to get people more interested into whips and chains. Perhaps it was all subtle along those lines. <laughs> well, they never... Food Town's gone now, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I'm just showing my age. Yeah. But that, that, that point about um, music, you see, they, they... We know that mood music's really important, particularly in restaurants, for example, and there's been lots of experiments yep. done over the years. For example, if you play fast music, do people... Um, 
you know, buy more or do they drink faster and stuff like that. And what you tend to find is they do eat more, but they will then leave earlier. So it just speeds things up, but it doesn't actually lead to more money unless you're trying to turn over tables faster. Um, and there are all sorts of other bits of research done on those cues. The same with, with scent. That's a good one. I mean, probably everybody's heard the old thing, if you're having an open home, make sure that people can smell freshly, freshly baked bread. Mm. That's priming people. So they go in there and immediately are thinking homeliness and domesticity and warmth. Mm. Doesn't matter what they how you know, so maybe you just bake baked bread smells through prisons and prisoners will be happier. But you see all these are ways of just making people think and react in a different way and the more you're aware of it, the more you see it happening and can hopefully become more in control of your own actions. Mm, they're trying to break you down to be less critical and more accepting of, of yep. what they're trying to marketing. That's what the crux is, isn't yep. it? Yep. And so th- any advertising you play in the next hour is probably going to be rather ineffectual, so sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Dodd, thank you very much for your time as uh, we crunch the numbers on statistics and discuss the psychology of priming. Thank you. Have a good week, and we'll do it all again in seven days. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Ryan Bradley in for Graham Hill. Airplay is a modern circus spectacle that brings life to the air we breathe. Prepare for flying umbrellas, larger-than-life balloons and giant kites to float over your head. Husband and wife team Seth Bloom and Christina Jelson merged their unique circus and street theatre skills with the sculptural artistry of collaborator Daniel Wurzel. And the team are here joining us on the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, it's good to be here. Hey, great to be here. We just came in from New York. New York? When? Yesterday? Or? Yes. Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you find New Zealand? Have you been before? We were here in 2010 at Christchurch for the World Buskers Festival. We've never been on the North Island, so we're psyched to start here in Auckland. Awesome. And the, so you've been to Christchurch in 2010. That yeah. would have been pre-earthquake. So. The earthquake was 2011, right? Yeah. So we were performing in that square right underneath the church tower that fell down in 2011. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That was Christchurch, such a beautiful city back <laughs> then. I'm, I'm glad you got to see it back then. Yeah. Let's talk about your show that you've come over for. It's called Airplay. Uh, what is it? Go for it. Um, it's a combination between us and our silent comedy and a sculptor, a kinetic sculptor, uh, who works with air. Mm. He lives in Brooklyn, and we decided to work together to see if we could make a show that uses lots of comedy and then beautiful sculptures. A lot of his uh, sculptures that he has with air are in museums all over the world. He sets up a circle of fans and uses it to blow fabrics like uh, silk and organza high up in the air, and we find a way to actually get that stuff to go all the way over the audience. Wow. But besides the poetry and the beauty, there's tons of funny stuff because there's no way that Christina would be on stage if things weren't funny. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite parts of the show, she, she, we both climb inside a giant six-foot balloon. It looks like it eats us right there up on stage. Wow. <laughs> yes. So you two are described as acro-buffos. Is that, am I saying that right? Oh, that's... What, yes, yes, what's you, an yes, yes, you are, No, it was the name of our first show. Okay. And then people got to know us, and then we got s- stuck with the name. So it was just simply the Acrobuffos was our first little act that we did. They ended up performing all over the world and circuses everywhere. And we have since retired because it was highly acrobatic and highly full of juggling. And now we've moved into just the funny. So this story, Airplay, has uh, we describe more as a visual poem. Mm. So it's... uh, it's very loose. There's no precise narrative, and and everyone who watches the show ends up putting their own story into it. One of the things I loved about making the show with Christina is that she used to be a ballet dancer. She has a huge history of working with classical music mm. and dance, mm. and we manipulate 
common objects like balloons and umbrellas in these air currents, but we were able to use her experience with music to help tell a story differently and help people see the objects move in a different way. One of my favorite things in dance is when you hear a piece of music that you perhaps already know, a classical mm. piece, and by seeing the choreography, you see the music now in a new way, or you understand the music in a new way. Mm. And I was trying to achieve the same thing here. So they're ordinary objects, things that you know. You use an umbrella all the time, but to see it played next to Holst's Jupiter, you you suddenly hear the music in a new way, and you see the object in a new way, and it sort of re-enchants our common world. Also, we've spent so much time touring all over the world. We pick up local music everywhere we go, and mm. we try to bring all the world's music into this show. So you hear something from Italy, you hear something from uh, uh, the UK, you might hear something from the Balkans, you hear something from Bulgaria, uh, all over the... Wait, where else do we Chinese have Chinese pieces, We yeah. have some Chinese music in there. So you get the whole world is in our show. Sith, you started as a professional juggler. Uh, talk to me about your journey personally and professionally to, to to where you are today with the airplay. Yeah, I used to juggle balls. I wish balls. you could see him. He has such a huge grin on his face. Yeah. <laughs> I used to juggle balls, clubs, fire, chainsaws, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And then somewhere along the way, I just wanted to make people laugh, and I felt the juggling got in the way. Mm. And I specifically wanted to work without words. And when you do comedy without words, it can take you all over the world. And what's interesting is the juggling has kind of leaked into airplay because we do manipulate a lot of our materials in these uh, currents of air. So you'll actually see a bit of juggling with airplay. I have helium balloons that I juggle. And the problem is if you mm. drop a helium balloon, it goes all the way up to the sky. You can't just pick it up off the ground. <laughs> so the hardest juggling I do now is I juggle helium balloons with my mouth. And has Christina sort of tried to incorporate some some uh, some ballet into it that have put you out of your comfort zone? Or? I actually try to erase the ballet so you don't see a dancer on stage. You see a kid or a character. Right. But yes, absolutely. People who know me and know my background are like, oh, I could totally see so, so your this, training. This really is, I guess, a little bit of a, of a journey, and it's a distance away from where you both started. What what do you think the um, uh, what's the difference between Acro Buffos, your, your previous show, and then moving into Airplay? What did you learn, or what were the good things of that that you've brought through to the, this new production? Um, so we started with Acro Buffos, which is acrobatic and kind of bouffant comedy. Yeah. And um, Silence it, was lot, well? it was silent. Yes. yes. Uh, but it was a lot of hitting each other and falling down, almost like a Punch and Judy show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. And the thing we wanted to pursue with Airplay was how can we be very funny and also very beautiful and poetic at the same time. Mm. And we kept, again, Airplay loose as a story, and it lets people bring their own stories to us. So people might see two kids growing up. Someone might see uh, refugees traveling with their suitcases with all their goods together. Someone told us they saw the story of their whole marriage in what they saw up on stage with us. Wow. And what sort of ages do you think that this really appeals to? To everyone. And it's not just age. It's also anywhere you are in the world. So the reason we chose a story about childhood is because a love story is told very differently. In Asia, it often ends with a sad story, and in Hollywood, it always, in Bollywood versus Hollywood, like, it's very different love stories. Mm. But childhood is universal. Everyone has to grow up, and everyone has a very close friend or a sibling, uh, and so we approached that. But I lost the thread of your question. No, no that's all right. We, we, we carry on. <laughs> and, in, and in terms of your own relationship, is there... Uh, there's obviously a, a pretty interesting story I read. You met in Afghanistan? Yeah, we met two clowns, you? met in Afghanistan and Kabul in 2003. What were you both doing there? So Seth was actually starting a circus for kids in Kabul, and I was performing with a company that worked in refugee camps around the world. So my troupe was coming through. We were performing in front of a bombed out, had no ceiling left high school, and up comes Seth, 
uh, did you take a taxi in or something? And you're like, hey, I'm a clown too. We're like, what? <laughs> Crazy way to start. And then we, we realized we both had the same interest in making uh, shows without words that could work anywhere in the world. And we started as clown or comedian partners first. And along the way, we kind of fell in love. Ugh. Well, that's not really quite true. <laughs> along the way, I realized I should spend the rest of my life with Christina. So I told her that long before we did any flirting. And the, and the wedding uh, took place in China. Yes, we got married in Hangzhou in China, which is... Tell me about your dress. Oh, right. We were performing at a clown festival that was also in conjunction with a balloon arts festival. And mm. the greatest balloon artist in the world who makes balloon dresses was there. And when she found out that we were actually getting married there, she was like, ah, she's from Japan. Yes, I'm going to make your dress. And I had a beautiful dress made out of tiny white balloons. And it was, ma it was magical. I could never have predicted that my life would end up in that way. <laughs> now, I have to say something about clowns. I don't know if it's true here in New Zealand, but in, mm. in New York, in America, being a clown is kind of a bad word. Um, well, it's got a bit of a people scary are, connotation. People are worried about yeah. it because of wigs and noses and big shoes. Yeah. We work uh, silently. We don't wear any makeup. It looks just like us. We do have blue and purple hair. That's about it. So we're very approachable and friendly. But I don't know what people think in the I think Krusty the Clown has scared generations <laughs> of, of children growing up on The Simpsons. You know, the, the funny part is that you go to Europe, though, and the clown is like a very elevated figure. You're the top of the circus, or you're very respected. But in the States, it's not so. I guess we're going to find out in New Zealand what people think of clowning. Oh, I, I tend to think there is a little bit of scariness there with clowns. But, you know, children's birthday parties and things like that, it, you know, it's still a fun thing to have around. I grew up with clowns um, being really funny, you know, uh, in terms of doing little magic tricks and things yeah. like that. So, but we're talking the 1980s. Um, times have changed a little bit. The collaborator Daniel Wurzel, what sort of influence has he brought to your show? Man, that was massive because none of us knew what was going to happen. He he works in museums around the world. He is like the cats. He's he is high end. This guy is high art, mm. and we come from the circus and clown world, which is low art. The exact opposite. We're not going to be installed in any museums around the world like he is. Mm. So to have this high art and low art smashed together in such a way that is accessible for everyone, you're just blown away by the beauty and the imagination that he has. And by the way, only one piece in the show is his in, in entirety. All the other sculptures in the show were collaborated and made on for airplay specifically, and you won't see it anywhere else in the world. Mm. So we made new sculptures with him. And then you also have this wonderful silent comedy that is tied together and because we come from the circus world we we built it almost like a secret circus there's you know the juggling and there's the acrobatics and there's like an aerialist except it doesn't look in a way that you would recognize you wouldn't know that, that was juggling you wouldn't know that it was an aerialist but it's playing the same role in keeping an audience interested and keeping an audience's heart strong wow Perfectly said. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, people always say, you know, how do you describe Airplane? And because no one's made a show like this before, we always have a hard time. It's where we show them pictures. But if you like dance, there's something for you. If you like theater, there's something for you. If you like the circus, there's something for you. And um, especially if you like music, there's something for you. So we try to catch everybody. And it moves quickly. So there's some part of the show you're not into. The next part of the show comes right along. Talk to me about the circus. The circus 20 years ago was big productions going around, full of animals and things like that. My memory was the Moscow Circus came to New Zealand. Oh, really? And I, I always remember the uh, the tightrope uh, They were so good at tightrope. And, oh. and these, these Russian guys were standing underneath, sort of ready to catch them if they fell. Uh, yeah. That's what I really remember. How has circus sort of uh, changed in, in both your careers? Well, the circuses in the United States are disappearing mm. rapidly. We just had Ringling Brothers uh, die, essentially, after 150 years. And we, in fact, had a contract with a major circus in the U.S., and they went bankrupt the year we were supposed to perform for them. 
Um, so there's definitely a, a sea change mm. in the culture and how people experience culture and what they and what they want to see, um, which is normal. It, culture does change, uh, and so circuses is, is transmuting. You see a lot of great new circus coming out of Montreal and coming out of Australia, especially. Um, and even in that circus world, when they see airplay and they know that we're from the circus, they know us already because we've been around the world. They're a bit surprised. It's in a direction they weren't expecting at all. Mm. Um, and I can see the connections very clearly, but I think that we're at like the way that Isadora Duncan was very different from ballet, and yet she is still tied into dance, and she is still t she was still tied into that tradition. We have taken the ideas and moved them forward in a new direction. And the the other thing that I, I having done both circus and theater is that theater is the art of make believe, mm. but the circus is real people doing real things. Mm -hmm. And with airplay, it's our biggest. Uh, Fo you know what the enemy is gravity because we're working just like in the circus just like you do acrobatics so we're always working against gravity with our balloons and our fabrics and our air but it's everything you see on stage is real it's really happening mm. um, so that's another connection we have with well, the radio is the same it's the theater of the mind yeah. you are listening and then you're creating pictures in your mind as you listen to people and I think that's the beauty of radio whereas television combines both your senses where you're watching something and because you see you therefore believe what you're hearing but in radio when you're just tuning in one sense I think it's easier to 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 make more of it or have more of an opinion on it when you're just listening but what you're doing in the theater I think it's really interesting you're bringing what like you said at the start that low-level circus uh, the way circus is performed and combining it with that that theater and that high end and that I, make, that makes it really exciting more than that, I love how you just described radio because you have to have your own imagination involved in order yes. to hear the story. And that's why we perform silently to do the same thing so that when someone's watching the show, they have to impose their own story and pose what make their world a part of our world. I wanted an active audience when we started creating work. I can't believe the parallel to radio. It's so beautiful. Mm. It, it, it reminds me the other day, I was looking at cartoons for my 14-month-old. Now, I don't want her to have any screen time, but I'm lying in bed, I'm unwell, she's man, 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 wants to play. I thought, where's Tom and Jerry when I need him? <laughs> and so I, I looked up sort of old school Tom and Jerry and we started watching it together. And it's just all to an orchestra as they walk. Do, 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 yeah. do, do, yes. You know, and, and I, it reminded me, I was like, wow, listen to the orchestra in the background playing alongside. Uh, there's, there's no, there's hardly any speaking whatsoever, which is what cartoons are full of talking these days. Yeah. Right. And it's just music. Um, with, I guess, uh, a cartoon. And I thought, wow, how cartoons have changed. Uh, but just an interesting sort of, you know, comparison, I guess, to what you I'm guys are trying to do. I'm using that from now on. Yeah, we're going to steal that and take Airplay that to other... Airplay is Tom and Jerry for the modern world. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts are you guys in your journey? Is this the start of the tour? Is it the middle? Is it the end? Are you already thinking about what you're planning to do next? Can I tell them? Yeah, you can you tell. tell. In July, we were in Australia and Hong Kong, and then we went to Germany and Scotland and Canada. Now we're here. Then we go to Mexico. Then we go to China. Then we go to Alaska, and then we end up 2018 in Austria. It's crazy. We're in the middle of a beautiful, wonderful scatterbrained year. Wow, you really know the tour. <laughs> yeah, and we started this year. We brought the new year in with Italy uh, at this year, and we're also in England and the Netherlands and the States. So we've been all over the world. So we've done the show 170 times, and uh, we've been performing it for maybe one year, solid. This is the beginning of our second new solid year. And is there a show in the future? I mean, right now I am just eating w food everywhere around the world, and I'm so excited that I haven't honestly mm. put my life into the next project yet because 
the world I mean, this, is calling. This show's gotten so popular, we've actually had to have three sets of props around the world so we can keep up with demand. So wow. after we leave here, we'll go to Mexico, and in Mexico, there's a different set of props over there. We'll go from <laughs> Mexico to China, and there's a different set of airplay props over there. And so it's so you got it's three, crazy. three versions of uh, of, of all everything. The, the props, yeah. three we're versions of fans, three versions of electrics, <laughs> three mean, versions of suitcases. We didn't realize because, of course, we're clowns. We're like, oh, we're going to build a show. We didn't quite think about the electrics. But in North America, they use 110 volts. In the rest of the world, they use 220 volts. So of course, right there, we have to have a separate Second, set just uh, to fit the electrics. Oh well. Wow. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit more personally about you guys. What what do you do outside of this to get away? What's relaxing for you? Is it just travel? Because you know, well, for Christina, it's seeing birds, and New Zealand is the most perfect place in the world to go watch really? birds. Yes. So I'll leave her to talk about that. We drove from Nelson to Kaikoura, and it's supposed to be like a three-hour drive, and it took us eight and a half hours last time <laughs> because I kept seeing pukikos and and birds that I wanted. <laughs> My favorite thing to do is just to have, be somewhere and have a good coffee, a great coffee in New Zealand. No, that's yes. not true. You okay. read like also a, read a book. You read like and, what are you reading at the moment? He went through two books on the airplane. Uh, what am I reading at the moment? I'm reading mm. a, a book called Arthur Less. Mm. Um, it just won the Pulitzer Prize. Okay. Great book. But, but, you know, I used to carry hardback books or paperback books all over the world, but Kindle has made it so much easier. Oh, you're a Kindle fan? Well, no, but, fan, I, but, but, but because to. we travel so much, um, I would just go through a book on an airplane and then have to carry it around with me. So Kindle's a way I can bring like 10 or 15 books on tour. You should be looking up the secondhand bookshops and taking them in. Well, you know, we used to stay at hostels a lot and I would give a book here and take a book there. But this way I can really curate all the books I want to read. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Let's look at where your New Zealand shows are. It starts on September the 28th. You're starting in, in the deep south in Dunedin? That's it. We're starting off in Dunedin. With the albatrosses? Oh, you get, of course, you must see the albatross. <laughs> this the, whole tour is planned by the birds. <laughs> the, the royal albatross colony. And then yes. October uh, 4th and 5th, we come to New Plymouth, the, the TBS show place. Did I say that right, New Plymouth? Yeah, you did. And then October 9th and 10th, we come to Baycourt Arts Centre in Taranga. Yes. And we finish off right back here in Auckland, October 13th and 14th at the Bruce, Bruce Mason Centre. Oh, fantastic. And it is a great time for the birds. What I love about New Zealand uh, is the tui. The tui is a fantastic... I just saw a, my first tui yesterday. Did you? Yes. Well, the, were the blossoms all out at the moment? on the fruit trees the tuis they just they really go for them they love so are they the like boss. honey eaters they go for the they they're going for the nectar. don't put me on the spot i don't know that <laughs> much i don't know that much i just saw a lot of tuis in a blossom tree that's all i can say and so. they've got the wattles like the wattle birds in australia that's right so the, i've kind of learned white. the birds of australia quite well and then i get over to new zealand and it's like you have so much more wetness than Australia, so the birds are going to change. Uh, anyway, I'll stop. No, no, no. The tui was beautiful. But they are. <laughs> you, you, you probably won't see a kiwi. In fact, you no, won't. No, of course not. Um, but they are beautiful. It's just we've got so many pests that like eating them, like those dirty possums uh, and stoats <laughs> and things. So uh, yes. kiwi, hard to see. But obviously our national bird, uh, and there is a uh, centre not far from Tauranga in uh, Rotorua that you may be able to go and see a kiwi uh, in captivity, obviously. Sure. But, uh, I mean, we're lucky enough that, that between uh, the gigs on the North Island, we're driving, so we have a little bit of time to stop and take a look at some of the beautiful sights. So maybe we'll do that. What do you think? And there's a yellowhead down near uh, Milford Sound. The little yellow bird. There's like a there's a couple birds I've got on my target list. And I hope you've got a big fuel card. <laughs> <laughs> hey, lovely to have you both on the show. This is Christina Gleeson. Uh, Jelson, am I saying? That I will correctly? take Gleeson. That is fine. <laughs> but, like... but it's Jelson. <laughs> Christina Jelson, Seth Bloom. Uh, their show Airplay is 
critically acclaimed all over the world. 170 times they've performed it already, and they're coming to a town near you, Dunedin, New Plymouth, Tauranga and Auckland, starting September the 28th. It's lovely to have you two in our country. Uh, I look forward to seeing your show. I will probably be, probably be going in Tauranga, so uh, hopefully catch up with you guys oh, afterwards. You if you do come there, uh, stick around. We have a little secret for your listeners. We do come out about five minutes after the curtain to meet some of the public that stays around, so we're happy to chat with you after the show if you do come. Seth Bloom and Christina Jelson from Airplay. You're listening to the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. And it's nearly 11 o'clock, so that means time for news from News Hub next. After 11, we groove away the day. It's nearly done. An hour to go this Saturday, the 15th of September 2018. And to take us towards Sunday, a band that was formed in 2001 called Rhombus and their debut album, Bass Player, 13 tracks on it. We've only got time to play nine the next hour, but I think I've picked out some absolute beauties. It's an album you may have heard one or two songs off, but it is a particularly good listen, especially some of those tracks that just go a little bit deeper, a little bit slower, and a little bit more dub reggae style. Good listening to be had between 11 and 12 this hour. That's after the news from News Hub here on Radio Live. We 